All right, my friends, welcome back to Your Bible Book by Book. I'm Pastor Luke, and this is the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, Timothy and Titus, um, uh, those books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the, and the book of Titus, are called um, in Paul's letters what we, what we would refer to as the pastoral letters. Um, basically, the Apostle Paul wrote um, some letters to some individuals and in a very pastoral way, and basically he's teaching them, training them, helping them uh, how to be pastors, how to be leaders in their churches. Um, and so, uh, Timothy, just I've heard people say um, th- in referring to the books of First Timothy and Titus um, that Timothy said or Titus said, uh, these books um, are written by Paul to Timothy and to Titus. They're not written by Timothy. They're not written by Titus. Um, and, and just like all of Paul's letters, um, from Romans all the way through Philemon, uh, all of the, his books are um, titled for the recipients. Um, and so uh, there are other books of the Bible that are named for the writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, obviously, and then uh, James and Peter and John all have uh, letters that are called after their name. They're the writers of those letters. Uh, so Timothy and Titus are a little bit unique in the fact that they're personal names um, of the recipients, not the writers. And that's a long explanation for something that's pretty simple. Um, but just so that's clear, um, it is kind of an important little note uh, that you understand that Paul writes these letters. Now, he's writing to Timothy. He picks up uh, Timothy on mission, on his second missionary journey. You can see that in Acts chapter 16. Uh, he comes across this guy in Lystra. Um, an Iconium who is uh, a believer. He has a good reputation. Uh, his mother is uh, Jewish, but his father is Greek. And so Paul uh, circumcises him um, in, in order to basically uh, give Timothy uh, the ability to present the gospel both to Greek people and to Jewish people because uh, as an uncircumcised uh, Jewish person, okay, you're th- you, what you have to understand is that Jewish people wouldn't have had any respect for Timothy, um, who is Jewish but not um, has the sign of the covenant on his body. Um, even though we know that that the new covenant is in Jesus' blood, it's by faith, it's not by any outward sign or symbol. Um, but in order to have an audience with Jewish people, um, he needed to connect with his Jewish heritage. Uh, important to understand about that, that the Jewish people understood and believed, and uh, this was their practice, that you trace your, your ethnic lineage through the mother, not the father. So the fact that uh, Timothy has a Jewish mother means that he had uh, the evidence um, that he was Jewish because that's how they traced their lineage. And so uh, it was important, it was necessary for Timothy to become circumcised in order to connect with his heritage, in order to have an audience with Jewish people. Um, and so what that did for Timothy was broaden uh, his ministry from Gentile people to Jewish people and basically anybody he could s- share the gospel with and they would have some uh, respect for him. Uh, and so Paul um, helps Timothy in that. And, and what you see is that uh, Timothy uh, follows Paul in his ministry and it becomes a very close companion with Paul in his ministries, and is mentioned in most of Paul's letters, or, or at least a lot of Paul's letters. Uh, Timothy's name is mentioned as somebody who is writing with him, who is a companion with him, who is helping him in ministry. So 
Timothy becomes very, very connected to Paul's ministry. And then uh, later in life, uh, Timothy goes to Ephesus and he becomes a pastor or a bishop or something along those lines in Ephesus. He, he becomes uh, a church leader in Ephesus while Paul um, is um, traveling. Now, the, the background of that is that uh, what we understand, what we think uh, happened was that Paul, if, as you read through Acts, goes to Rome um, and, and he's in prison there for two years. Uh, according to the church historian Eusebius, um, he, he said, and Clement also um, refers to this, that Paul argued um, before Nero successfully and was released. Okay, after Acts 28, Paul was released from his imprisonment in Rome. He continued to do some ministry. He, he uh, according to church tradition and history, went to Spain um, and did some ministry there. Um, and then he was recaptured. And then he, so he was rearrested, brought back to Rome, and under Nero, uh, he was beheaded. So that's the, the church history. Not everybody agrees with that. Some people have different ideas of what happened. Uh, but the early church historians believe that's what happened. Eusebius writes um, in the, in the mid-300s. So during the time of, of Constantine, uh, Eusebius is a, uh, a bishop in Caesarea, um, he is a ch- church historian. He writes the church history from Acts all the way through his own time uh, until Constantine comes to power and makes the Roman Empire into a Christian nation. So that's what uh, uh, Eusebius writes, and that's what he says about Paul. So uh, what we think and what we understand about First Timothy is that this letter was written um, when Paul, after he was released from his first Roman imprisonment. So that in-between time, we don't have a lot of information about what happens there, uh, but people believe, uh, historians believe, uh, and there is some disagreement about it, but they believe that he was released and he wrote 1 Timothy, uh, instructing Timothy how to minister in Ephesus. Okay, and so Ephesus, again, um, you might want to go back and listen to um, the the podcast on uh, Ephesians because it'll, it'll give a little bit of background on the city and the situation there. Um, but uh, what's happening is that Ephesus is a very contentious city. It's a very important city. It's a very major uh, center for ministry. Um, Paul ministers there. Timothy ministers there. The Apostle John ministers there. Um, it, it's very central to uh, the spread of the gospel in that whole region and really for the whole world. Um, but it's also a very spiritual um, uh tumultuous place. I mean, there's a lot of spiritual activity there. There's a lot of dissension. There's a lot of paganism. um, And there's a lot of false teaching. And so the main thing that we see in 1 Timothy is Paul addressing um, how to deal with false teaching and and how Timothy needs to be strong and uh, teach doctrine, teach the truth of the gospel um, and to how to deal with the, the, all the uh, arguments and, and uh, false teaching that's going to happen. And so um, the main verse that you see is really in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He says, um, uh, I'll start in verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths Endless genealogies, these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. 
the goal, verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so Paul is going to spend the majority of the letter um, teaching uh, Timothy how to recognize false teaching and how to stay uh, firmly established in the truth and, and to teach the truth and how to make sure that he uh, continues in the gospel. Uh, and so what's interesting is that the New Testament, as you read through the letters, you know, most of the letters deal with false teaching um, in some way, shape, or form. False teaching, false teachers, uh, false doctrines, etc. They, they address it pretty consistently. Um, and, and the reason that that is is because there was so much uh, potential for, uh, in those early years, in those early days, uh, for the gospel to be miscommunicated, uh, uh, twisted, um, and, um, and, and falsely represented. And so uh, the understanding of who Christ is and, and what it means to be saved and how to live the Christian life and all those things were, were really important. But what you also see is that very seldom, if if ever do you see that there's much detail about the content of the false teaching okay there there's very little uh, content of what the teaching is um, uh, so we don't have a lot of detail about um, what it was that Timothy was to be looking for in terms of uh, the the false teaching it was more uh, of the result of the false teaching and, and so Jesus says it this way you will know the tree by its fruit and so Paul doesn't tell Timothy the content of false teaching to look for. He tells him the result of false teaching to, to look for, um, and which is gossip, um, division, um, and uh, so many other things. In fact, there's a whole list of things uh, that Paul points to. If you, if you walk through 1 Timothy, um, I have a list of about a dozen different things, uh, different doctrines, swerving from the faith, lacking understanding, contrary to the faith, shipwrecking your faith, blaspheming, departing, um, and following uh, evil spirits, um, insincerity and lying, myths, following, following Satan, uh, persisting in sin, wandering from the truth, irreverent babble, swerving from the truth. And so um, all these passages, so uh, from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6, uh, it's a consistent theme in First Timothy of what to look for, how to, how to know if, if what you're seeing is the evidence of a false teaching. Um, but what Paul says is that the gospel itself, uh, as you cling to Jesus and as you cling to your relationship with him and understand who he is, uh, the Son of God, that he, he uh, lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, he rose from the dead. As you cling to the truth of the gospel, those will prevent you from swerving into these other arguments. And so the, the main um, instruction for Timothy and how to avoid false teaching is simply don't engage, don't argue, don't um, get caught up in uh, the system that, that wants to draw you into uh, a discussion or an argument or, or uh, this kind of a setting where you're going to debate the, the, the false doctrine versus true doctrine. He says, just stick to true teaching, Strict, stick to the gospel, stick to God's word, and you won't have to worry about the rest of that. He, the, those things are divisive. They're, they um, cause you to 
be uh, distracted and uh, they can get you into a place of confusion. He says, don't engage in that. Um, just continue to, to perform your work. Now, here's the other thing that he says is that uh, right uh, belief is going to lead to right living. And that uh, the main issue with this is that what you should see um, in a person's life, just like what Jesus said, that you will know the fruit by, or the tree by its fruit, um, he's saying that right belief is going to result in right behavior. And, and if you see wrong behavior, then you have to go back and say, "There's what's going on here? There must be a, a, a wrong belief somewhere, uh, a misunderstanding, uh, a lack of, of uh, uh, adherence to the gospel, a lack of understanding of the depth of who Jesus is on some level in order to be able to live uh, in a way that is going to cause uh, sin and um, a misrepresentation of who Jesus is. And so right belief leads to right living. And Paul continues to help Timothy uh, to understand and to teach these truths. Uh, and so as you walk through First Timothy, um, you're going to see that this is a personal letter um, that Paul writes from his pastoral heart to a protege in ministry, Timothy, um, who is young um, and yet who is um, a mature believer and strong. And so uh, he's going to help him to lead other people who, who don't know Christ or who are believers who need to, to find that maturity. He says, don't let them uh, despise you um, because of your youth, but continue to show them what it looks like uh, to be a mature believer, even no matter how old you are, which I think is uh, really, when I was young in ministry, when I was um, first started as a pastor, I was 26 years old, uh, took on, you know, preaching full-time my, my first church, and uh, that was encouraging to me to, to read that, that uh, I wasn't older. In fact, I was one of the youngest people in the church. It was a fairly small church. Um, and yet I was being given the responsibility to lead these people spiritually. Um, and, and I was not new to my faith. It wasn't as if I had just come to know Jesus. Um, I'd been a believer for, at that point, um, about eight years. Um, but I was pretty young. And uh, there is something to be said about um, not looking down on somebody who is younger than you um, in their age when they are more mature than you in their faith. Uh, and we have to make sure that we understand the difference, that uh, there may be some young people who are very mature in their walk with the Lord and their understanding of, of uh, following Christ that we can learn and grow from. Uh, and Paul says, don't, don't let anybody look down on you just because you may be younger than them, uh, because you are mature in your walk with the Lord. So whether you're mature um, or you're young in your faith, um, we take those things as, as a great encouragement because uh, we know that uh, anybody can be used by the Lord uh, to do what he's calling them to do. And so um, if you're a young person and you're, you're walking with the Lord, um, then your job and, and my job, uh, no matter what age you are, is to live in uh, agreement with your faith to to show by your behavior that what you believe is true 
Um, and, and those are the things that uh, validate and confirm your faith. And so not just to yourself. I mean, we want that confirmation in ourselves, but to confirm that to other people, that they will see the connection between right belief, right living, and uh, grow in their own understanding themselves. That's what we want. That's what Paul was charging Timothy with, um, and uh, he was helping him to grow in that. And uh, it's a great book. I hope that you'll read it soon. There's some confusing things in there, or at least difficult things. Uh, some of that comes from the fact that Paul is helping Timothy uh, to walk through um, the, the pastoral uh, responsibility that he had. Um, and, and so we, we take some of these things. Some people have a real hard time uh, with the, uh, the language that refers to women um, and how, to, how women should learn and how they should in verse uh, chapter two, verse you know eleven, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a, a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. And they and and some people, some men take that way too far um, in ministry to um, use it almost abusively towards women. Uh, some women uh, get very offended by that and want to throw the whole book of First Timothy. In the trash because they don't uh, understand or respect this kind of idea, um, and I, I guess it deserves some explanation. Um, there are a couple of competing ideas in, in the church these days, and have been for a while, um, and, and they're referred to as complementarianism um, or egalitarianism. Okay, and complementarianism says that uh, basically um, men and women are made differently with different gifts, different uh, different purposes in, in God's eyes, that men were made to be leaders, women were made to be submissive, they're made to be helpers, um, and that we function best when we fall into those uh, prescribed roles that God made us for. Egalitarianism says that men and women are equal, that uh, we all have gifts, we all have abilities, um, we all should be given equal opportunity to use those gifts and abilities. Um, and uh, the position that m- many people take one side or the other um, on that very strongly, uh, almost ignoring you know the the, the other side or um, arguing against it. Here again is an interesting uh, case study for what Paul is talking about in false teaching and not getting involved in these arguments. The Bible clearly teaches that men and women are made differently, uniquely, um, and that there's value in that. We're made in God's image. We're both male and female made in God's image. Um, and uh, we have different roles, different strengths, different weaknesses, and that's a good thing. Um, but the Bible also teaches, and the New Testament specifically teaches, that there is no longer male or female um, in Christ, no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, uh, that we are all one in Christ. Um, and so you, you have to take those two ideas and you have to uh, basically synthesize them. They're, they're two different ideas that you have to bring together and try to understand in connection with each other. Um, if, you, if you fall on one side or the other too strongly um, and argue one side over and above the other, then you're probably going to end up um, with a false teaching. Um, you're probably going to end up with a, a wrong behavior. Um, the, the reality is that um, it is difficult 
to understand how these things work. In the first century, in Paul's day, and especially as he's teaching Timothy, he's trying to help him to understand um, that there was something new happening that, that had never really happened before. Women were being included in the education, religious education, for really the first time. The Jewish people didn't educate their women in the these days um, alongside of their men. They were separate, and, and they were lesser than in some ways. Um, in the church, though, it was understood that men and women were to learn together, that they were they were equals in Christ. And so women were being included in the church in a way that had never happened before. It didn't happen in Roman society. It didn't happen in Jewish society. It didn't happen anywhere. Um, but in the church, it was happening. And so because of that, there was a lot of confusion about how this should happen, uh, what should take place. And, and um, women were getting a new freedom, and some of that freedom was leading to some confusion. Um, maybe even an overreach of their newfound freedom. And so Paul's trying to put into place some basic idea or standards for how men and women should be learning t- learning together. Um, and this was part of that. It was uh, part of the idea that a woman should, if she has a husband, she should ask her husband at home and, and find out some of the questions, uh, some of the answers to her questions from her own husband um, and, and not just uh, speak out in church services and asking all the things that, that for so long they hadn't had the opportunity to find out about, um, but to receive it quietly, um, to have some order within the church, um, and to make sure that women were not overstepping the bounds um, with this new freedom that they had. And so uh, Timothy like I said, can be a little bit confusing when you don't know or understand some of that history. You read it for face value, you 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 read it in our own context, and you might have some difficulty trying to interpret how these things work out in our own day. Um, but there are so many things that, um, that it, once you understand even some basic things that were happening, uh, they're not nearly as, as hard to understand or confusing. Uh, as they might otherwise be. And so, uh, Timothy, First Timothy, um, fantastic book and uh, really a, a wonderful read, and I hope that you'll get into it soon. Um, let it inspire you all over again, and, uh, and let it be, again, your Bible, book by book. <laughs>